Okay, let's pray. Lord, would you give us your blessing as we open up your word and study it today? Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we as a church need to hear these immortal words that Paul penned so long ago by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We need them, Lord, here in 2020. So God, please give us grace to truly hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, saints, let's go ahead and read the passage. Romans 14. Today we're just going to read verses 1 to 12. That'll be our section. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. Excuse me. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now we've been working our way through this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and the first 11 chapters of this book deal with the mercies of God. That's why Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So the book of Romans is really an exposition of the gospel. It's Paul telling us the, the great mercies of God that come to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first 11 chapters are his exposition of the gospel, and then the last five chapters are his application of the gospel. And that's where we're at now. We're in the second half where he's applying the truths of the gospel to the Christian church and telling them how they're to live in light of the beautiful mercies of God's gospel to us. And if we were to sum up how we apply the gospel in one single word, I would choose the word love because that's what he keeps emphasizing over and over in these last five chapters. Let me just run through them real quickly so you can see what I'm saying. Chapter 12, verse 9, he says, Let love be without hypocrisy. 12.10, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 12.14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 12.20, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. 13.8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. 13.9. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And then 14, verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. So he's emphasizing love again and again and again. So the way that we respond to this beautiful gospel of grace is to love God and to love each other. Now the issue in chapter 14 verse 1, all the way through chapter 15, verse 13, is how we are to live with one another when we share different convictions from each other. How do we love each other when we're so different from each other? When we think so differently? We, we don't believe the same things are right and the same things are wrong so often. Someone has summed up what our attitude is toward other Christians all too often in this little poem. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat, drink only what I drink, look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly, I don't know who wrote it, but I liked it. Because <laughs> I think too often it is the way we look at life. We look at the Christian life. Now, there are many issues in the Bible that God is silent on, meaning the Bible doesn't take a particular stand this way or that way on it. And so we refer to these as the gray areas of the Christian life. They're not black. They're not white. They're just in the middle somewhere. They're gray. Um, some issues in the Bible are black and white. It's always wrong to blaspheme, to lie, to steal, to cheat, to fornicate, to commit adultery, to swindle, to murder, right? Those are black and white issues. And it's always right to be kind and compassionate and loving and honest and truthful and faithful. So those are black and white issues. But there are many issues that the Bible doesn't specifically forbid and it doesn't specifically command either. And we have an example of a few of those here in chapter 14 that the early church was grappling with and trying to know how they dealt with those particular issues. In other words, there are certain issues where one person feels it's wrong to do it and another person feels it's okay to do it, like they have the liberty to do that thing. So the question is, how can we live in unity and peace in the church when we when our perspective on certain issues, certain gray areas, are so different from each other that we clash. That's what Paul's dealing with here. That's the issue in 14.1 to 15.13. And so Paul here is instructing us what to do when Christians have different convictions in non-essential matters. And that's important. Do you guys know what I mean by non-essential? I, I could use the word non-salvation. This is not a salvation issue. And the reason I, I believe it's not a salvation issue, well, I'll get to that later. I'm getting ahead of myself. But these are non-essential, non-saving. Uh, these are secondary issues, not primary and essential issues that he's dealing with. And so there's really three basic commands that would sum up 14.1 to 15.13. 14.1 to 12, accept one another. 14.13 to 23, Build up one another. 
15, 1 to 13, please one another. So accept one another, build up one another, and please one another. That's what Paul is urging and exhorting the church to do in these particular gray, non-essential issues. So as we move through verses 1 to 12, the way I'm going to tackle it is I'm just going to ask some questions. They're probably questions that occur to you as you're reading through it. Like number one, who are the weak and who are the strong in faith? Because that's the very first thing he says, except the one who is weak in faith. Well, who is that? Second question, how should the weak and strong in faith relate to each other? And third question is, why shouldn't they judge or despise one another? And he gives five reasons why they shouldn't do that. So that's where we're going. So let's take the first one on. And let's try to identify who were the weak and who were the strong in faith. Okay? Look at verse 1 and 2. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak, there's your clue, he who is weak eats vegetables only. Who is the one who is weak in faith? Vegetarian. Vegetarian. He would not eat meat. He, there was total abstinence in his life from meat. He wouldn't eat it. He would only eat vegetables. Now that's kind of interesting. He calls that person weak in faith. Now that's not the only thing we read about this person. Turn over, well in my Bible I have to turn the page. Go to verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now here he's talking to the strong. And he's telling the strong believer, it's good for you not to eat meat, or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother, and what he means by that is your weaker brother, the one who is weak in faith, so that they don't stumble. So the other thing we learn about the person weak in faith here is that they didn't drink wine. The one who is strong in faith was able with a clear conscience to exercise his liberty in Christ and to drink wine. The one who was weak in faith did not have the faith to drink wine. And so there was that clash there. They had these differing convictions on eating meat. Should I do it or not? Drinking wine. Should I drink wine or not? And then there was one other issue. And that comes out in verse 5. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So, one person, and I believe he's talking here about the one who's weak in faith. The one who is weak in faith regards one day above another. And I believe he must be talking here about the Sabbath. At least the Sabbath day. Because the Jews... Of course, they regarded the Sabbath as the one day out of seven that was holy. You didn't do any work on that day. You worshipped God on that day. So one person regards the Sabbath, and maybe this also includes other days like the festivals and feasts, Passover, Pentecost, Day of Atonement, other Jewish holidays. But they would regard these particular days as sacred and set apart and holy, whereas other Christians didn't look at it that way. They just looked at every day alike. They worship God every day. So, the weak in faith believer, they totally abstained from meat, from wine, and they had certain days that they felt they must set apart as holy and sacred to worship God on. The strong in faith, they didn't have those convictions. They felt at liberty to eat meat, 
to drink wine, and to treat every day the same as any other day. I think probably the weak in faith were converted Jews. Because think about it. Their issue was meat. Now to a Jew, there were certain kinds of meat that they were not permitted to eat. In fact, they considered certain kinds of meat unclean. You guys know the kinds, right? Pork and shrimp, certain kinds of shellfish. They just, God said, don't eat that. It's unclean. And the reason I think they were converted Jews is because of verse 14. Paul says there, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So he's, he's using Jewish phraseology here. Now can, think about a Jew. His whole life, he's lived as a Jew. He's kept the Sabbath every single week. He's always had a kosher diet. He's restricted himself from eating pork and shrimp and other kinds of food. And all of a sudden, he comes to Christ. And he's in a church now with other believers, and they're eating pork, and they're eating shrimp, and they're not observing the Sabbath like he always has. And can you imagine the tension that's going to be between these believers as they're supposed to be in unity, but now they're butting heads because they believe so differently about these issues. And if you had come to Christ out of a Jewish background, I think it would be nearly impossible just to set all that side that stuff aside and just totally change everything about your life because you've got these ingrained convictions that go back to your birth, right? They've been pounded into your head week after week after week through your parents and through the synagogue teaching and through the example of all the other people around you. And now you come to Christ and you've seen these other people with all this liberty that they're exercising and you just think it's wrong what they're doing. It's not right. So that's who we have here. We have the weak in faith. We have the strong in faith. Now, why does Paul call them weak in faith? I think it's because they didn't have the knowledge and they didn't believe in certain truths in the Word of God. So that made them weak in faith. There was certain revelation that God had given to the church that these particular believers didn't understand, first of all, and then believe. And let me just show you some of the passages that I'm considering. We just read verse 14, but let's look at that again. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. There's the truth. And in context, he's speaking about foods. Nothing is unclean in itself. The weak in faith did not believe that truth of Scripture. They believed there were certain foods that were unclean in themselves. Or 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. Now here he's talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols, and how some people, if they knew meat was sacrificed to an idol, they just wouldn't eat it. But Paul says, wait a minute, we know that there's no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there's no God but one. There's no such thing as an idol. Who cares if they are sacrificing to what they think is an idol? There's no, th no such thing that's really an idol. There's only one God. We serve the true God. So that's Paul's thinking, but there are certain people that didn't have that knowledge. They were weak in faith because they didn't believe this truth. And just to make one other short comment here, 
The Apostle Paul himself believed that he was strong in faith. And we know that from Romans 15.1, where he says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. So Paul says that he was one of those that was strong in faith. He had this knowledge that the weak lacked. Okay? Or if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, look at 25 and 26. Paul says there, Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The reason why you can eat anything out in the meat market without asking questions is because God made it all. It's part of God's good creation. He created everything and he says that it's very good. So the Christian is at liberty to enjoy all of God's good gifts through creation. But the one who's weak in faith does not understand and believe that truth. They believe there are certain things you can't enjoy from God's creation. Or we've got 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm just showing you the, the, the truths that the weak in faith did not embrace. Okay, 1 Timothy 4. And here Paul is talking about in the later times... Some are going to depart from the faith. And he, he talks about the hypocrisy of liars seated in their own consciences with a branding iron. And then he says this in verse 3. Men who forbid marriage and they forbid abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You see that perspective? God created these foods to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. But those weak in faith did not have that perspective on foods. They thought some foods were clean, other foods were unclean. You had to avoid the unclean foods. But Paul says, no, God has created all these foods to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And one final passage from Titus chapter 1, verse 15. He says, to the pure... All things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. So here's the phrase to remember. To the pure, all things are pure. So th there's a, a body of truth in the scriptures, in the New Testament, that the weak in faith did not understand. And if they did understand it, they didn't agree with it. They didn't believe it. And so that made them weak in faith. Now, oftentimes, when we consider someone who's weak in faith, we think, oh, someone who's going to easily succumb to temptation. But that's not at all what Paul meant when he talked about people weak in faith. They were not easily succumbing to temptation. In fact, they were not going to succumb to temptation because they believed it was wrong. They weren't going to eat that meat. They weren't going to drink that wine. They weren't going to treat every day alike. God forbid that they would do anything like that. It's not that these people lack self-control. They had plenty of self-control when it came to the things they thought were right and wrong. They lacked liberty. They lacked the freedom that comes in Christ to enjoy what God has made. So that was, that's what defines the weak in faith. The strong in faith are just the exact opposite. Paul was one who was strong in faith. And in verse 2... Romans 14.2, it says, One person has faith that he may eat all things. So someone who's strong in faith, they have the faith to know that it's okay for them to eat anything. 
God has made all, all foods clean. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a period of time when God did set aside certain foods as unclean, but that was banished with the gospel. Today, all foods are clean. Nothing is, is banned by God. And then verse 5, one person regards one day above another, but the strong in faith, he regards every day alike. So that's what the strong in faith is like. He understands his freedom in Christ. But the thing that we need to remember here, though, is that these are non-essential issues. They're not salvation issues. Whether you eat meat or not is not going to mean that you're either saved or not saved. Same with drinking wine or observing various days as holy or not holy. None of those things are salvation issues. How do, we, how do we know that these are not salvation issues? Because of verse 3. He says, The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? For God has what? Accepted him. What does it mean for God to accept someone? Yes, yes. It means that he warmly welcomes them into fellowship with himself. The opposite of it, to accept someone is to reject them. God has not rejected these people. So they're justified because of Christ's work. They've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. They've been warmly welcomed into fellowship with God. And in other words, they're saved. That's what he means in verse 3. These people that we're talking about, the strong and the weak in faith, are all true believers. They're all saved people. So the issues we're dealing with here are not salvation issues. They're secondary matters. So let me just summarize for you the weak and the strong. The weak are true believers that have scruples about certain issues that they think are wrong and that they should not participate in, such as eating meat, drinking wine, and regarding everyday alike. They think all of those things are wrong and a Christian should not do them in order to be pleasing to God. The strong in faith, they disagree. They say God has made all foods clean, meats, wine, and every day uh, we're no under this legal obligation to observe the Sabbath like the Jews were in the Old Testament. We can observe every day as a day of worship to God. We don't need to set aside one day as a different day than all the rest. So they were the strong in faith. Okay, let's move to our second question. How should the weak and the strong relate to each other? And we get the answer in verses 1 and 3. He says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith. That's the first positive duty that the strong is given. The strong is given the command, the positive command to accept. Just as God has accepted him, so the strong is to accept the one who is weak in faith. Which means he's to warmly welcome him into fellowship with himself. And when he does that, it's not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. In other words, it's, I'll accept you, but it's just because I want to get close to you so I can really cut you down and criticize you and correct you and judge you because you're wrong and I'm right. That's not the, the issue. He says, forget about all of that. Just accept him. He's your brother. Accept him into fellowship with yourself. Not to pass judgment, but just because he's your brother in Christ. And then look at verse 3. The one who eats, so that's the strong, here's the negative command. 
He is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat. Now, what does it mean to regard somebody with contempt? There's a word for that. Despise. They are, he's not to despise the weaker brother. He's not to think that he's better than him because he knows so much more than this weaker brother. And the weaker brother, he just doesn't have a clue when it comes to God's revelation. And here I've got all this knowledge and I wish, just wish you could have the same liberty in Christ that I do. You're such a legalist, you know, you're such a Pharisee. <laughs> That's the way strong people can regard weaker brothers as legalists, as Pharisees, as those who just don't understand, they don't have the knowledge that they need to have. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't look down your nose and despise this person. Don't form cliques. Don't form cliques in the church as us versus them. We're the strong ones and they're the weak ones. No, you are one body in Christ and you are to love each other regardless of these various convictions that you all have. Now, what about the weak? What is their duty towards the strong? Look at verse 3. The one who does not eat, that's the weak person. They are, uh, let's see. And the one, the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Can you see how, how I'm just going to yell here. <laughs> Can you, can you see how easy it would be for someone who's weak in faith and has all of these scruples to judge people that are doing what they think are wrong? Yeah. Right? That's easy to understand, right? Like if they think it's wrong to drink alcohol and hear this, brother, how can you be a Christian and you're drinking wine? And you call yourself a Christian and you're eating pork? You call yourself a Christian and you're not observing the Sabbath? How can you do that? And in their heart, they start to judge those who are strong in faith. And there's no longer this warm acceptance of each other. Now there's these barriers within the body between different Christians with different convictions. So there is the responsibility of the weak and then the responsibility of the strong. Now the weak, I don't think, would consider themselves to be weak. They probably consider them to be the strong ones and the other people they're the weak ones because they're the ones that are succumbing to these different things that, that are not right anyway like eating meat or drinking wine but according to scripture they were the ones who were weak in faith they didn't embrace all of God's revelation concerning these matters alright the third question why shouldn't the weak or the strong judge each other why shouldn't they do that and Paul gives five reasons in verses 3 through 12 as to why they shouldn't do that. The first reason is because God has accepted him. That's verse 3. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? Because God has accepted him. So how can you reject someone that God has accepted? Do you see that? How can you condemn someone God has justified? How can you say someone is wrong whom God says is mine? They're my child. So the first reason we are not to judge one another is because God himself has welcomed all the strong and the weak into fellowship with himself. If God has accepted all these various kinds of people into fellowship with himself, then those 
in the body need to accept each other. Right? We need to fellowship with each other. So when we begin to judge somebody else in our heart, and it'll happen, just to warn, forewarn you, I, I know this happens within every church. It'll probably happen here, and it'll probably happen in your heart from time to time. But when it starts to happen, ask yourself some questions. Has God accepted that person that I'm judging? Has God saved them? Does God have fellowship with that person? And is that person seeking to live his life for Christ? Even though he's living it differently than I think he should, do I truly believe that in his heart, he truly is, his motives are to live his life for the glory of God? And we're going to see that in verses 6 through 9 later. But if, you, if those two questions are answered, yes, God has accepted him, and yes, he is seeking to live his life for God, then drop the judgment. It's not appropriate. Repent of the judgment. So that's the first reason. Because God has accepted him. The second reason, because you are not his master. That's verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And I'm just going to stop there. Because you are not his master. If you were his master, maybe you would have some reason to judge him. But he's not accountable to you. He's accountable to Christ. Christ is his master. In fact, he's accountable only to Christ. In the final analysis on Judgment Day, he's going to give an account to God for what he's done in his body, whether good or bad. So when we begin to judge people in our heart, we have to remind ourselves, wait a minute, I have no right to judge this person because I am not that person's master. Reason number three, because God will make him stand. Look at verse 4. To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand. <laughs> Notice those words. He will stand. Why? For the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, if God has accepted him, God is going to make him stand on that final day. He who begins a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is not only the author, but the perfecter of faith. If he started that work, he will make you stand. So I'm judging someone whom God is going to make to stand in the final day of judgment. It doesn't make any sense for me to do that. We should never forget how powerful God is to enable believers to persevere in faith until the very end. Why would we judge someone who is going to stand? Okay, reason number four. Because this believer is doing what they are doing for the Lord. Even though they differ from me, they're doing it for the Lord. In their mind and in their heart. Now that comes out in verses 6 through 9. Let's take a look at that together. He who observes the day, and no doubt this is talking about the Sabbath day. So he who observes the Sabbath day, they're observing it for the Lord. And he who eats, there's the strong who has the liberty to eat meat. He who eats, he's doing it for the Lord. He's eating that meat for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. So he's grateful for this meat that he's eating. He's thanking God for that meat. He's saying, Lord, this is part of your good creation. Thank you, Lord, for letting me enjoy part of this good creation that you've made. And I'm eating to your glory. And then notice this. 
um, verse 6. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God too. <laughs> so he's giving thanks to God. Lord, thank you that I have these vegetables to eat. That I don't need to eat this meat over here. I thank you for these vegetables. And I'm giving thanks to you for the food that you provided. Thank you, Lord. So both of them are thanking God for what they're doing. Both of them are doing it for the Lord, even though they come to different conclusions. And then look at verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And he's talking both to the strong and the weak here. All of them. For if we, the strong and the weak, live, we're li we live for the Lord. And if we, strong and weak, die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. So isn't that interesting? People with opposite convictions can both be doing what they're doing for the Lord. Their heart's motivation is to please God and to glorify Him, even though they're doing two different things. <laughs> I just find that fascinating. But it's very, in fact, it happens all the time. And they can both be giving thanks to God, even though one is eating meat and one's not. They're both thanking God for what God has given them. So this is not talking about believers indulging in their flesh, in sinful practices. It's not talking about drunkenness, sexual sin, gluttony, or black and white areas of the Bible. Uh, he's not saying that it's okay for certain people to do those kinds of things. That's not true. We were talking about the gray areas, the secondary issues of the Christian life. Okay, and then the fifth question, or the fifth reason why the strong and the weak shouldn't judge each other is because God is their judge. Look at 10 through 12. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Remember, it was the strong that regarded the weaker brother with contempt, and it was the weaker brother that judged the strong brother. So he's coming back to both of those groups here in verse 10. And he's saying, why are you doing that? Because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. The strong in faith, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Weak in faith, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee, not just some Christians, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, climax, punchline, conclusion, each one of us, all of us, will give an account of who? himself. Not his brother, himself. He's going to give an account of himself to God. He's going to be judged. He's going to give an account of himself. So that's who we need to be concerned about, ourself. God is our judge. God is our master. I am not the judge or master of anybody else. Christ is the judge and master of me. I'm going to give an account of myself to him, so I need to focus on myself and not be judging other people that differ from me. Now, we've looked at three issues in the early church. Eating meat, drinking wine, and observing special days as holy. Those were gray areas, and they were secondary issues. 
Now, we don't really struggle too much with those issues. We, we probably, uh, drinking wine would be one that we still disagree over today within the church. But eating meat's usually not an issue. And observing special holy days, not so much. Could come down to maybe holidays like Christmas and Easter. But there's a whole host of other things that we could apply this principle to. And I thought, I sat down and thought and thought and thought and just started writing down issues that I see that are potential issues to divide the body of Christ today. So here's my list. I came up with 20 things. And maybe you could add to this. Maybe there's some things you'll think of. One, whether Christians should meet together during the current COVID-19 situation. And if they meet, whether they should wear masks. And if they wear masks, whether they should sing. Christians have different convictions on this. And some think it's wrong to do certain things, and others think it's per perfectly permissible to do certain things. Two, whether Christians should watch TV. Certain Christians believe that is totally wrong and inappropriate for a Christian, and other Christians feel like they have the liberty to do that. Three, whether Christians should go to the movies. Four, whether Christians should dance. Five, whether Christian women should wear makeup. Six, whether Christian women should cut their hair. Six, or seven, whether a Christian man should have long hair. Eight, whether a Christian man should have an earring. Nine, whether Christians should listen to secular music. Ten, whether Christians should vote Democrat. Eleven, whether Christians should vote Republican. <laughs> Twelve, whether Christians should use any other version of the Bible than the King James Version. Thirteen, <laughs> Whether Christians should ever gamble. 14. Whether Christians should ever smoke cigarettes, cigars, pipe, or vape. 15. Whether Christians should have a tattoo. 16. Whether Christians should have piercings. 17. Whether Christians should send their children to a government school, public school. 18. Whether Christians should celebrate Christmas with trees, ornaments, and gifts. 19. Whether Christians should allow their children to go on Easter egg hunts. 20. Whether Christians should dress up for church, men in suits and women in dresses. So those are my 20. <laughs> but do you see all of those, all of those could be debated, and they are debated endlessly by various Christians. And maybe when we have our Q&A time, if you can think of another one that's, I just didn't think of, a hot button issue, you can bring it up. The bottom line is this, God has called the church to peace and to unity. And when it doesn't come to a black and white moral issue in Scripture, when it doesn't have to do with a salvation issue, we need to be careful that we're not either despising or judging one another within the church. I think it's okay for us to talk to each other about these issues, maybe even have a friendly debate, maybe challenge each other's opinions, as long as we're really seeking to keep the peace at the same time, and we're not judging other believers in our heart. And dialogue and discussion amongst believers is usually healthy unless we get angry, raise our voices, and then the whole thing falls apart. But if we can have a, a peaceful, humble spirit, I think it's great for us to dialogue about these issues because we can learn from each other. So let's let God be their judge. God has accepted them. He's going to make them to stand. They're already living for the glory of Christ, even if that looks differently than the way we do it. 
And so I'm just exhorting you this morning to become gracious, encouraging, loving, peaceful community of disciples of Jesus Christ. I think that's what Paul is exhorting the church at Rome to. So let's take that to heart and let's seek peace and building up of one another and the unity of the Spirit here at the bridge. All right, let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord, today. Lord, this, this is an issue that we really need your help in because we're prone to judge each other. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for looking down on others and for judging them. We pray, Lord, that you might help us to do what Paul has called us to do here. I pray, Lord, that you'd be quick to point out to us, Lord, when we've crossed over into judgment in our hearts so that we can repent. And that we can be, we just release that person from judgment. Lord, remind us again and again that you are our master and you are our judge. And one day we will give an account of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.